Have you ever wondered who is doing the research that will impact your future? The Research Podcast lets you meet those people and learn how the University of Kentucky is exploring and strengthening our understanding of the world through research and discovery. Here's Alicia Gregory, Director of Research Communications. Today, we'll meet Jeff Worley. Jeff hired me in 1996, and he retired from UK as Odyssey Magazine Editor in 2009. He was just named Kentucky Poet Laureate. I talked to Jeff about this honor in his writer's loft, the second story of the home he shares with his wife, Linda, in Lexington, Kentucky. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Tell me how you reacted when you first found out about this honor. I was happily surprised and uh, I just immediately started projecting ahead to, because I know what the former laureates have done, and a lot of it is just is going to high schools, going to libraries around Kentucky, book clubs, civic groups, and talking about uh, Kentucky writing, Kentucky writers. So I can't wait to get started. You know, I think it's 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 going to be a wonderful two years, and I'm going to get to see a whole lot of Kentucky that I've never been to, and that uh, that excites me. That's going to be great. So tell me a little bit about, briefly, how a Kansas boy ends up in Kentucky and being named Kentucky Poet Laureate. Uh, I don't know if I can do that briefly, uh, but I'll try. Well, after I got my MFA and went to um, Germany, where I was hired by University of Maryland's European Division, this was 75, taught over there for eight years. And not incidentally, that's where I met Linda. We were teaching in adjoining classrooms. Uh, as all this time, I'm writing poetry, of course. Uh, went back to Cincinnati for a year while she finished her doctorate. And then I got a job with uh, Penn State in 84. So I was at Penn State for two years. And all this time, you know, writing poems, sending them out, getting most of them back. Some of them stuck in magazines, though. And so we came here in um, 86. And immediately, the first thing we noticed is just how open and friendly and welcoming, not only the writing community, but the academic community at UK. Various people were trying to get to know us and show us around and invite us to parties and so forth. And I'm continuing to write poems uh, in the evenings. So after a number of years, I'd published six books, uh, four chat books, and this anthology, which came out now 10 years ago, almost to the day, which was great fun. And I'd I'd gotten awards here and there, uh, uh, an NEA and three Al Smith Awards from the, the Kentucky, yeah, Kentucky Arts Council. So I started having, I think, a pretty decent resume. And, well, we've been here 33 years now. And somebody asked me maybe 10 years ago, well, when are you going to be Poet Laureate? And I said, well, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't be because I'm from Kansas. And I forget, I forget who I was talking with 
a poet at the time who, who said, well, I now deem you an adopted Kentuckian. So I became an adopted Kentuckian at some point, and uh, so I guess I qualified then. Excellent. So has or how has your academic experience, you know, teaching English as you did and then working at UK for the Research Magazine Odyssey for so many years, how, how did that shape your writing in general? Actually, I think teaching uh, shaped my editing more than writing because I, I taught a whole lot of writing classes, English 101 and 102 and uh, technical writing, some creative writing. I was grading papers and, and uh, editing in that, in that way. I think with, with Odyssey, the, the research magazine, uh, there are three things in particular that I, I think helped my poetry a lot. Uh, one of them was just brand new subject matter I'd never considered before. And some of the articles that, uh, that I wrote directly funneled into my poetry. One example was a piece called The Rock Fences of the Bluegrass, mm -hmm. where Carl Rates, the geologist, was uh, chronicling how many miles were left of the fences and so forth, and uh, terrific work. And a British stonemason named Richard Tufnell was working with Carl, and at one point, and this was in the article that, that I wrote, he, uh, he said, dry stone building is an art. Stones must be selected by shape to fit snugly and securely together. To me, that was an immediate analogy to what poets do. And so I use this quote as an epigraph to a poem about poetry. So I was alert to seeing how I might uh, be able to use the experience of, of the writing I was doing with Odyssey. Another example, I write a lot and always have about animals, especially since we have a cabinet cave run lake now, quite a few animal poems. And I wrote an Odyssey article in 97 right after I hired you, I, I believe, uh, about uh, pheromones. Yes. Work by Thomas and uh, Marilyn Getchell. And so this new knowledge worked itself into several poems at the time, uh, the, the role of pheromones in animal behavior. So there was that clear connection. Uh, the most important, though, I think, was the many research projects at UK that had to do with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Uh, my father started showing signs of significant memory loss in the early 90s, just when I was doing my, my research on Alzheimer's for an article featuring the work of, of Dr. Marksbury. And so early on, I was able to tell my father kind of what was happening to him. And he was open to that early on. He could, he could understand it. And I felt grateful that I was able to do that. And apart from uh, being better, better able to understand what was happening uh, to Dad, terminology worked its way into a number of poems. For example, here's a, here's a segment from The Body Snatchers from a chat book of mine titled Leave Time, and it focuses totally on my parents. I can tell you now what we know about beta amyloid, covalent bonds, 
how free radicals can launch themselves into cell membranes, the imperceptible explosions that led you here. That's language that I didn't have before I started writing scientific and medical articles uh, for Odyssey. So those, it, some of the experience of, experiences I had led directly uh, into my poetry. So let's talk a little bit about narrative poetry style, which is kind of what you focused on. Why, why does that, is that something that excites you? Why, why did you choose that route? Everybody likes a good story. I've always been attracted to, to good stories, to uh, uh, fiction in that way. And there are uh, poets who are primarily uh, narrative poets. Kentucky has a long history of, uh, of narrative poetry. And I just sort of probably unknowingly tapped into that when I came here. There, there are just great storytellers uh, in, in Kentucky. I also write uh, lyrical poems, but you're right. I think uh, uh, most of my poems are, are narrative. So I've read a number of your poems. I have a few of the chapbooks. Um, and one of the things I noticed is while you do throw in a good $10 word here and there, you're not cluttered with that. And they always seem very accessible. Mm -hmm. Some poetry is overcomplicated, I think, and most people have trouble getting through it. Um, I mean, is that... A conscious choice, or is that just how you communicate? It's a conscious choice. I want my poems to be accessible. If they're really good, memorable, I I want the reader to always know where she is in a poem. And the language is pretty much conversational language. I, I think of poetry as heightened speech, and it's heightened by the tools of the poet, metaphor, imagery, sound patterning, uh, analogy. Uh, there's, a, there's a large toolkit that poets use, and it, it's a way to let the reader know that, that he's in the slightly rare atmosphere of poetry. But uh, I'd like to think that any of my poems could actually be stated by somebody in some situation uh, somebody that's really attuned to language and gets a little lucky. Um, but the last thing I want to do is write obscure, translucent poems that the modernists like to do. I like to connect with people through uh, my poetry, and just simply being understandable is a good step in that direction. So where is your favorite place to write, and what is your favorite time to write? Uh, that is a great question, and I'm so lucky. I have two favorite places to write. You're looking at one of them, and I've, I've shown you around a little bit here. Uh, the other week, 15 years ago, we bought a cabin at Cave Run Lake, and it's a fantastic place. It's not on the lake. It's close to the lake, and Linda pretty much redesigned the whole back part of the cabin. And one of the things added on was a screened-in porch. It's probably 12 feet by 10 feet. And it needs to be screened in because of the insect activity out there. And on a, on a good day, I'll sit out there in the afternoons, let's say, for two or three hours 
we have in back bird feeders. We have a metal drum for deer food. And we get regularly uh, deer, turkeys, the occasional fox, all sorts of uh, birds that come in. And I, I just love watching them and learning from them. And I'm looking out at the woods. So that's, I don't see how a place gets any better than that for a writer. Absolutely not. <laughs> so do you write everything longhand? Yes. I start out on a on lined paper and write everything longhand, probably the first two or three drafts. Then I'm eager to see what it looks like typed up. Because the, the shape of a poem on the page is important to me, and I think it is to, to most poets. Um, and from then on, it's a matter of sometimes there's still heavy revision that needs to happen. Sometimes just a line or two. Sometimes You, you, you just don't know until you get uh, working with it. But I know some poets who just start out on the keyboard. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I, I like the tactile interaction with the pen and the paper, which also because I'm old and I've always done it that way. Have there been times when you've been kind of stuck creatively? How have you overcome some of that? The only time that I feel stuck or some people would say blocked mm -hmm. is maybe if I'm sick or really tired or just have other things that, that I have to do. I kind of don't believe in writer's block because all you have to do is just put a line of anything on that blank piece of paper and you're off and running. William Stafford has a, a great book on that called uh, Writing the Australian Crawl. And basically he says, start anywhere and see where that line wants to take you. See where the language wants you to take it and follow it along. And it's important to not know where you're going. It's important to be surprised on the page by what you're doing. It keeps interest for one thing. And here's the worst thing that can happen. It can be a lousy poem. So what? You know, you get past it and you go on to something else. And I would say to especially younger poets, if you want to write a good poem or a great poem, write lots and lots of poems because most of them aren't going to be very good. Thank you for listening to The Research Podcast. To subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud or iTunes, search University of Kentucky Research Media and visit our site, reveal.uky.edu.